Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Airway First, a podcast from the Children's Airway First Foundation. I'm your host, Rebecca Downing. In today's episode, we continue our conversation with Dr. David McIntosh, a pediatric ENT specialist with a particular interest in airway obstruction, facial and dental development, and its relationship to ENT airway problems and middle ear disease. Dr. McIntosh has undertaken advanced surgical training in ENT and head and neck surgery and pediatric training at Starship Children's Hospital in Auckland, New Zealand. He has been published in peer-reviewed ENT journals throughout the world and has presented on ENT topics throughout Australia and overseas. He is also a fellow of the Royal Australian College of Surgeons. Throughout his career, Dr. McIntosh has held memberships with the Australian and New Zealand Society of Pediatric Otolaryngology, Australian Rhinocological Society, and the Australian Sleep Society. He is also the author of Snore to Death, Are You Dying in Your Sleep? You can find out more about Dr. McIntosh at entspecialist.com.au. To hear part one of my conversation with Dr. McIntosh, check out episode 13 of the Airway First podcast. And now, here is the continuation of my conversation with Dr. David McIntosh. So that's that's the brain in a nutshell. But, you know, what, what, we, what, what can we do, you know, that's objective? Well, again, we have the research. People have gone and, and taken a cohort of children and put them through brain scanning um, protocols. It's mm-hmm. not something we do, you know, on a clinical level. It's, it's research-based. But what did they find? Well, the, the parts of the brain that deal with uh, concentration and behaviour are not working properly. The parts of the brain that, that deal with memory, so there's a part of the brain um, that's particularly called the hippocampus, is, is our mm-hmm. sort of memory centre. It's smaller. The parts of the brain, um, you know, what's called the, the frontal lobe that deals with, you know, behaviour, emotional regulation and so forth, it's not working properly. The parts of the brain that deal with learning um, and, and, you know, math, for example, it's not working properly. The parts of the brain that deal with processing visual and auditory information, so what we see and what we hear, is not working properly. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can physically get a window of, 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 of perspective by looking at brains um, through imaging of these children that are not sleeping properly, and those brains are not normal. This, this is brain damage. You know, but you know, it's, there's a is reason. it correctable? Yeah, yeah this, is, this, this is the beautiful thing about brains at an early age is, is that, you know, th- th- these brains have what we call plasticity. So the, the proper term is neuroplasticity. Um, is, is the brain just keeps sort of changing and developing, but we've got to realise that we're asking the brain to change and develop and work around a problem, you know, and the brain will do its best. But again, there's a limit to where it's at. And if you had a choice between, you know, relying on the brain, you know, trying to, you know, solve this or just relieve the problem that it's trying to solve, well, getting rid of the problem is actually a more right. beneficial outcome end. than mm-hmm. relying on the brain, you know, being its own solution. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so, so you know, we, we sort of have the, the, that, again, that adva- advantage of, of things, but we're, we're using that advantage in, in the wrong circumstances. Right. So, so, yeah, so, you know, th- th- there's a very good reason that we don't let a six-year-old drink alcohol, okay? Obviously, you know, at the end right. of the day, as much as we've socially accepted it, 
alcohol is a brain poison. We know it's a brain poison. You know, mm. we, we, we sort of, you know, might decide not to acknowledge that to sort of justify our social norms. But at mm. the end of the day, at a medical level, alcohol is a brain poison. There is a reason that we do not let six-year-olds drink alcohol. There's even right. a reason we don't let 14-year-olds drink alcohol. You know, and you can make the argument that we probably shouldn't let anyone under the age of 25 drink alcohol if we look at it from a pure science point of view in terms of brain development. You know, the, 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 the brain development continues throughout life, but in terms mm -hmm. of that crucial brain development, it's sort of massive, 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 massive early on and then petering out and, and plateauing usually from the age of about 23 to 25 onwards. So any, any environmental insult um, that comes along that, that uh, can affect the brain can, can leave its mark. And so, we see it manifest and it shows itself more and more down the road. Now we have absolutely. adults absolutely. with all of these conditions that we could have. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so is it so ever too late to stop and help an adult? It's never too this late. This, this is the thing. It's, 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 it's never too early and it's never too late. Okay. And the, the best time to fix a problem is when you find it. Is when you find you it. Know, like, like, like any health condition, you know, the, you know, when should we fix this? Well, now. Right. Oh, but aren't they too young? They go, they're too young to have this problem. They're not too young to get it fixed. So, and then we come into the cardiovascular thing. So the cardiovascular, we have the heart and the blood vessels. So if we think about, um, you know, what are the sort of leading sort of causes of, of disease and death in, in adults? Well, one of them is heart disease, um, and that ties in with high blood pressure. Well, mm -hmm. guess what? This is what happens in children. You know, because we have a problem with the breathing, we have a problem with the oxygen supply. The when part of the response is that the brain and, 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 and so forth is going, hey, I'm not liking this environment. Heart, pump harder. Give me more blood. Give me more oxygen. Give me more blood. Heart goes, all right, I'm going to pump a bit harder. I'm going to pump a bit faster. It's going to work just that little bit harder. But what it encounters along the way um, is uh, these, these changes also within the blood vessels that leads in children to high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So one of the, the we mm -hmm. talk about high blood pressure in adults, we, we talk about what's called primary and secondary. Secondary means it's due to something. We can go, oh, they've got a problem with their kidneys, um, which affects their salt regulation, uh, which means that they, it puts up you know, the amount of the, the volume of fluid that's in their blood vessels, which as a result of that puts up their blood pressure. You know, so yeah. that's what we call secondary hypertension. Hypertension means high blood pressure. Right. But in the, in the majority, it's what we call primary. We go, look, it just happened, you know. And if you think about that as a starting point, you just go, oh, it just happened. Well, that's a kind of weird thing to do mm -hmm. you know, in the first right. place. And, and if we then drill it back and we go, you know, where did, why did we have an adult that took some pathway of aberrant um, outcome that led to, you know, high blood pressure, sleep disorder breathing. So in children, um, mm -hmm. the, the, the vascular changes that happen um, that we see uh, uh, changes in the tone of the little muscles. So within our blood vessels, the, the, there's tone. Um, so because we have to divert blood to different parts of the body at different times. So for example, um, where I'm here at the moment, this is a conversation, this is an intellectual thing. So this mm -hmm. is part of which part of my body is doing the work, my brain. So right. it's right, all right, 
more blood needs to go to the brain. Um, I haven't, it's morning time here. I haven't eaten. So blood flow to the gut. There's nothing there. Don't need to don't worry about that. Um, I haven't moved yet. I haven't like, you know, gone and done any sort of you know physical activity. So muscles doesn't need anything there. It needs the baseline, but doesn't need any extra. But then, you know, if I then go and have something to eat um, and people realize this, you know, for example, when you have lunch, you always just tend to feel that just that little bit flaky after lunch, just that mm-hmm. little bit. Right. I, feel, just, I just feel a little bit tired. Mm-hmm. Um, that's because the blood's going to your gut more than your brain. Why? Because you've got a whole whole load of food there that has to go through a whole digestive process um, and then it needs to be pulled out the gut and then and, and taken through your other body systems to be processed. Right. So it's just, it's just an automatic thing. So the blood vessels have little muscles that basically can open and close to regulate the blood flow. And they have a background tone, but in this sleep disordered breathing thing, because we have this stress response and part of this stress response involves, uh, you know, basically just to keep it simple, little adrenaline surges, um, okay. that adrenaline causes the blood vessels to constrict um, and it changes the tone such that there's a background tone that over time is elevated. So that therefore then squashes the blood vessels, which squashes the blood. And when you squash the fluid, the pressure goes up. So that's that's in simple terms. So we have children with high blood pressure um, and so forth. So that's that side of things. So we have this both cardiac and vascular changes, which, again, are remarkably subtle, but mm-hmm. cumulative over time. Mm-hmm. So so we have this thing where, you know, I, I listen to a lot of sort of, you know, health and podcast type things, really trying to find find pockets where I can try and, Put my hand up and say, "Hey, look! I, you know, everybody is talking about adults. You know, they right. talk about, you know, oh, you know, well, you know, what are the, the background things? You know, you know, people get, you know, adults get these diseases, and I'm listening, going, but it started back here. Have you looked at? It started in childhood. Yeah, you know, you know, you know. Again, it's that silo thing. You know, we're talking about world experts. You know, world mm-hmm. experts in high blood pressure in adults. Um, and you know." They, they don't know about this other silo. So, you, you know, 20 to 25% of kids, you know, have got So how do these we changes. fix that, the silo? I mean, because it is, it's it's not just U.S. It's everywhere. This is just how yeah, 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 all yeah. medical no, 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 systems no, no, work. No, 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 well, well, Look, I'm in Australia. You know, this, this yeah. is, this, it's, 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 it's just how it reality. is. So, mm-hmm. so, so what happens, the way we fix it is, is you have people like myself that are anomalies that actually go, well, look, you know, I know ENT backwards. That's what you'd expect. But then when I come, you know, what I do different is when I come across this thing, I go, huh, I want to dig a bit deeper on this one. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit of a deep dive. Um, and, and then as I, as I do that, I, do, I just have this natural curiosity. I, I just mm-hmm. want to know more. And, mm-hmm. and it's not also that I want to know more. I want to know what I'm doing wrong, you know, I, I, you know because if there's something here that I'm doing wrong, I don't have an issue with that, you know, um, psychologically or, or ego-wise. I didn't know it was wrong. But right. now that I know, I, I can do it better, you know. And right. that's, that's you know, one of the things is that, you know, success is founded on failure. You know, you talk about, you know, your, your famous mm-hmm. inventor, Thomas Edison, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that invention of the light bulb. And you said, I just found 10,000 ways that it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, if, you, know, you know, if you'd tripped over it first time, well, that would have been a fluke. But, you know, it was entirely possible. But, you know, as it turned out, it was like, no, nah, that didn't work. That didn't work. You know, it's just, it's like, it just just kept going. 
So, you know, if we'd said, oh, what a failure, you know, it took 10,000 goes to get it right, we'd go, what a failure. But we don't. We go, wow, he invented the light bulb. Like what he did. You know, mm-hmm. you know so, you know, you sort of have that, 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 you know, point where you don't look at the failures, you look at the success. And I had the same thing. I go, well, if only I, if only I had known that. You know, oh, and I no. think this is the same thing. So, again, how do we fix this? Well, we, we don't fix it overnight. We, we oh. fix it in small baby steps. Um, you okay. know, and like I said, you know, here I am, you know, here. And, again, even if it's only one parent, you know, you know, you have a 1,000 people that listen to this and it's only one parent. It won't be. It'll be 20 to 25% of parents. Right, and right. They might, they might have more than one kid with this. And then what happens is this, 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 there's this cluster effect because as soon as it's within a family, it's not unusual that it's like, you know, the mum goes, oh, that was me when I was a kid. And or it's oh, dad is, is, is snoring too. And so it's like, oh, yeah, dad's been getting a bit grumpy. And, yeah, he's on antidepressants and in, and having some anxiety issues. And they you go, really start oh. unpacking everyone. And, and, and then it's just like, well, it, it's also my my – you know, I can see this in the cousins. And this is what happens is that, you know, I, I start with this sentinel case, you know, which is the first one. And then the and the mom or whatever go, oh, I've noticed that my three-year-old is starting to show signs of this as well. Should I bring them in? I'm like, absolutely. And then they're like, oh, well, all their cousins like had their tonsils and adenoids out. And you go, right, it's in the family. You've got the genetics. You've got the environment. There's this confluence of factors um, that are coming together and the disease is manifesting. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, I've started with the one case and then I've got the family and the extended family because they're all, you know, we start with the one kid that gets better and everyone goes, oh, my God, this is a different child. And then everybody is lining up for the please fix my child. Whatever you did, do, do, do it, it again. Do this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that, that's where this knock-on effect, you know, compounds itself over time. Um, but it happens slowly. But it's, you know, it's a trickle effect. So I, I don't think about, you know, you know, how how do you get a valley? Well, you get a valley because initially there was a raindrop that went over a piece of rock, and then there was a second raindrop, and then there was a trickle, and then that trickle just slowly over time built up, and and you know, water, you know, created that valley. Just just that, that just that natural, you know, effect of what we call erosion. Over time, mm-hmm. took a long time to happen. But sure, it got sure. there. So that's what's going to happen here too. It's not going to be a flood. It's just going to be a slow, slow chipping away and erosion of things. Do you think so, the parents so are going that, to drive this with the advocacy? Is that what's going to drive change? Uh, that, to that's, that's what. That's, if, if you think about who knows about this more than anybody else, it's ironically the layperson. You know, in terms of their numbers. Why? Because, well, there's one of me, and this year I might fix 2,000 kids, okay? So if I fix 2,000 kids, well, that's 2,000 parents. There's still only one of me, but that's 2,000 parents. That now know it. Mm-hmm. Okay, that now know. And even if they just, you know, collectively, if only 10% of those parents tell another parent, well, that's 200 extra parents as a byproduct of that it. That now know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's just, just, just that word of mouth thing. Um, you know, and so forth. So we then we start getting a compounding effect because of those 200, well, say she was 10% again, well, there's another 20. And out of that 20, there's another two, you know, and then they say, well, that's where it peters out. Well, we still ended up with more than the 2,000 that I brushed against. 
there's mm-hmm. still only one of me. Okay. So, so, you know, we've got in Australia, we've got say 500 ENT surgeons in total. Well, if I fix 2000 kids, you know, and 2000 parents, well, like I said, numerically, there are more parents that then know about this than ENTs, just mm-hmm. numerically, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, but, you know, you've got other ENTs doing this too. So, you know, you know, it's more than just my 2000, it's, it's everyone else's as well. So, so the majority of knowledge actually sits at a community level. What we need to do is, is, is have them be the advocates and they often will be, you know, they're, they're so astounded and, 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 and delighted that they just have this different child that they have no reservations or hesitations about Sharing. just just basically putting their nose into other people's business all for the right reason. You know, right. they might be at a mum's group or they're at a, you know, they're, you know, they've just gone and done their yoga and Pilates and they're sitting around mm-hmm. having their, their, their coffee or whatever uh, and so forth. And, you know, one of the mums will say, oh, sorry, I haven't been here for the past two weeks. I've just been dealing with Sarah who, you know, my, my darling little three-year-old just went through this operation and just had her tonsils and adenoids out. And they'll go, oh, she's getting lots of tonsillitis. She's going, oh, no, no, no. No, she was snoring and, and mouth breathing and stuff. And, oh, my gosh, you know, I had no idea that this was a problem because she wasn't getting tonsillitis, but she was just really waking up tired and, 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 and so forth. And, you know, we got her checked out and then eventually ended up with an ENT who – Took to notice that they were too big and, and took them out. And she's just like this different child. And then one of the other mums will go, oh, well, that sounds like my, my child. child. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me more. And, you know, and, 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 you know, what should happen, you know, and this is the failure of the health system. And, the, and there's many failures. You know, we, we talk about, you know, the, the Swiss cheese model of healthcare, which is basically, you know, where are the holes that people, people fall through? Well, they fall through at the starting point. You know, as soon as a child is born, you know, we, we would make a massive healthcare benefit if we had this basically just a simple booklet, you know. You've got to make it simple. It's got to fit on a page. You know, mm-hmm. Anything that's longer than that is, is not going to get absorbed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not every parent's going to be on, on board. But just, you know, a simple thing that says, hey, look, here, here is a little indicator list, you know, so that if over the development of your child over the first few years you notice these things, um, and we should put snoring and mouth breathing on that list. You say, look, if your kid starts to snore, they start to mouth breathe, they're waking up tired, that's the little red light that, that, that's turning on, that's mm-hmm. go get things checked over. Um, but it should also be at a, at, a, at a health screening level so that when these children, for example, are going through their community health clinics, it's not just, you know, we're not just checking, you know, how are they growing and, and, you know, what's their vision and like and what's their mm-hmm. hearing like? It's like, what's their sleep like? Yeah. What's their breathing like? It's not on the list. What's their behavior like? What's yeah. their school yeah. performance like? Yeah, it's it's not on the list, mm-hmm. you know. And then, you know, we have the school health checks, which, you know, I remember doing as a child. Oh, what yeah. What did they do? They checked my vision and they checked my hearing, mm-hmm. you know. They were the two things that they did. Um in the, in the mainstay, if we look at why a child will have a learning problem, hearing is very rarely an issue. An issue. Very mm-hmm. rarely. Um, it, it's certainly on the list. Vision, very rarely. If you look at a group of children in a classroom, how many of them are wearing glasses because they can't see properly? Not most mm-hmm. of them. Okay. 
how many of those children have a breathing and a sleep problem? 20 to 25% of them. Right. How many of those children were were asked as part of their screening process? You know, none of them. You know, when when you when if you fill out a form, you know, the school, you know, wants to know about the background of a child as part of the admission process. You know, does your child have any physical issues? You know, do they have a vision problem? Do they have a hearing problem? Do they have diagnosed behavioral problems? You know, are they going to need education support because of that? No one asks, does your child wake up tired in the morning? Because if you're waking up tired, you're off to a bad start. Yeah, you didn't sleep. You know, something went wrong, either sleep quality or sleep quantity, or there's a major health issue underneath it all um, is, is in the background. But, again, there's no little red indicator light and no guidance. You know, mm-hmm. again, you know, the par- uh, you know, it's on my screening thing. And I say to the parent, do, do they wake up, t- you know, tired in the morning? They go, all the time. You know, mm-hmm. as if, again, you know, you know the, 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 and it's usually the mum just, just by circumstance. You know, the mum is exhausted with this going on because they've got this child, you know, that they need to get up and get moving and get to school and get on time because mum, is, is, she's got stuff to do too, you know. she's But it's normalised. They're kids, they're tired, they don't like to go to school, they don't want to get up. This is what teenagers do. I mean, we yeah, normalise it. The, exactly. This is the problem. We've normalised pathology, mm-hmm. you know, you know and, it's, and it's, you know, and there's just that no recognition. There's just that, 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 that again, things just don't click into place. It's it's like, you know, the jigsaw puzzle. You've got all the pieces. You just don't know how they fit together. You're listening to Airway First with today's guest, Dr. David McIntosh. You can find out more about the Children's Airway First Foundation and our mission to ensure that every child has access to screening, evaluation, and treatment of all children's airway disorders before the age of six on our website at childrensairwayfirst.org. You can also find a ton of great resources for parents on our website, including videos, blogs, recommended books, comprehensive medical research, and more. As a reminder, this podcast and the opinions expressed here are not a medical diagnosis. If you suspect your child might have an airway issue, contact your pediatric airway dentist or pediatrician. And now, back to my conversation with Dr. David McIntosh. And then someone like me comes along and I go, well, that clicks into that and that clicks into that. And and then all of a sudden it's just like, huh, that's how you solve it. So, so, you know, so that's, that's, that, that's it in a nutshell. So what we need to have, you know, with this in the background then is we need to have something that's useful and constructive for parents. And, you know, and I can show off, you know, how clever I am with, you know, this enormous amount of knowledge, but that's useless if it doesn't translate into something that's packed up into something that's a nice little package. So mm-hmm. what I sort of like parents to have as a, as a just as a you know, little simple toolkit is like, all right, first up, most of the time, you actually don't know what your child is doing at night because you don't go look and listen. You, they right. go to bed. After the age of about you one, down. you don't check anymore. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Once they've gone down to bed, they're usually down the other end of the house because that's how we've yep. constructed things these days. And yep. so there is a complete uh, element of, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm oblivious to it all. 
you know, sure. it's not a criticism. It's a reality. No. So right. step one, you got to go watch your child every night for a week, random times, five to 10 minutes. Just make a small investment in time. Okay. Are they snoring? Are they mouth breathing? Are they stopping breathing at night? If you got that, that's enough. That's enough. You got, you, you got ENT right there. Just keep it really simple. Now, if you want to layer it up, then you go, look, are they sleeping with their head tip back? So that's that position. Mm-hmm. You know, that is what we do when we do first aid in terms of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation mm-hmm. type thing. Right, to open the airway. You know, unless it's an infant, mm-hmm. we tip the head back. Why do we do that? Because it opens up the airway. So if the mm-hmm. child is sleeping with their head tipped back, they're opening up their airway. They're doing first aid on themselves to try and breathe properly. That's clearly not a good thing. Right. Are they sweating at night? You know, they're going through those adrenaline surges. Are they, because they're having disrupted sleep, are they tossing and turning a lot? A lot? Yeah, so when well. you sort of get there in the morning, their bed is, it's, it's like a tornado went through. Um, right. Are they sleepwalking? sleep talking have they got night terrors or grinding their teeth at night they're all aberrant sleep pathologies related to not being able to breathe properly at times mm-hmm. are they waking up through the night and coming into your room they have disrupted sleep um that's not normal okay coming into the room that's not normal it's been normalized but it's sure. not normal mm-hmm. okay are they wetting the bed beyond a normal age Okay, so is, is, you know, is it five or six or seven or eight-year-olds that are supposed to stop? Right. Well, you know, there's right. a variety right. there where we draw you know, what we think is the line in the sand. But, you know, are, are they still wetting the bed? Okay, so, so there's these sorts of things that, that you can sort of add layers to if you want to get more sophisticated. But do they Just snort? watch them. Do they mm-hmm. mouth breathe? Are they stopping breathing at night? Yes, all right, ENT. The, the rest of it's window dressing. We... we, we we need to keep, you know, the ENT can sort the rest out, but let's start with that, okay? So that's your simple parent screen in terms of their breathing and sleep in a nutshell, you know, and if they can just walk out the door with just the, the, that, that simple screen methodology, mm-hmm. we're going to pick up 90 to 95% of these kids that need, need seeing, seeing and help right there, yeah. all right? But if we're tripping over them through their daytime problems, so they're having problems with their education, their, mm-hmm. their emotional issues, their, their mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, it, and it can be just like exercise things. So, for example, um, they go out onto uh, the, the soccer pitch and they're running around with a group of kids and, and, and there's no real reason, but they just they just can't keep up. You know, they're struggling. It's what we call exercise tolerance, mm-hmm. which is basically if you basically – you know, we do it like, you know, for example, with people with heart disease, we'll put them on a treadmill just to see, you know, what their heart what they you can, know, take. can cope mm-hmm. with. You know, so that's what we call exercise tolerance. Well, throw a group of kids onto a sporting field and get them to running around, play with a ball or, for you know, for example. Well, what kids are just go, go, go and what kids looking at them, you go, gosh, they're not very fit, are they? Well, they've got cardiovascular problems and breathing problems with the sleep disordered breathing that might actually be what's going on, but it's all about the perception of it that then right. helps you understand the reality. So, so that's that part of it, but we also got to realize that, you know, it, this isn't always about ENT either. Okay. Mm-hmm. Historically it was about tonsils and adenoids, but the other, there's a few other things that have crept into the conversation too. One of them is nasal allergies. So we call that hay fever. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
So with hay fever, we get the sort of the runny nose and the sneezing and the itchy eyes and, you know, and, and again, we've normalised it. Why do you say that? Because we have this term, oh, they've just got a bit of hay fever. It's just right. hay fever. Okay? Mm-hmm. They've just got allergies. Right. We've normalised a disease, mm-hmm. you know. We wouldn't go, oh, they've just got cancer. Oh, it's just a bit of cancer. You sure. Know? You know, we've normalised a disease. Hay fever is a disease. We don't. Yeah. Why we did your kid constantly it? get allerg- or deal with allergies or have yeah. annual sinus infections or? Yeah. So, we, again, we just, it, we just, we, we just normalised it. Normalised it. You know? mm-hmm. we, we've normalised pathology, but. Why did why do, did a hay fever, nasal allergies trip into this conversation? Well, one of the things it does is it causes swelling within the nasal passages. And if that swelling is enough, it can block the ability to breathe through the nose to the point that mm-hmm. you then mouth breathe. And mm-hmm. here we are with mouth breathing again. Okay. Yep. So, and we look at allergies, certainly in my country, and I think it's probably similar in yours, um, and, and it's not unusual across um, many other countries too. In childhood, it's about 15%. So that's one in seven children. Forget about tonsils and adenoids now, pretend, pretend they never even exist. One in seven children, nasal allergies, mm-hmm. nasal obstruction, breathing problems, sleep problems from just allergies. Mm-hmm. And what do we know if we look at it just from an allergy point of view? They don't do as well at school and they're more prone to anxiety. Here it right. is again. We're mm-hmm. landing on the same doorstep, okay, uh, we, but without it necessarily being about tonsils and adenoids. And, and guess what? Some kids can have both, but it doesn't stop mm-hmm. there. We, we talked about the adults that have the obesity. Well, guess what's happening? We, our food is terrible. Our lifestyle yeah. is terrible. What used to be a, a, a disease of thin, scrawny kids is now becoming a disease of the adult pattern with overweight and obesity too. And, mm-hmm. again, what are we doing? We're normalising it. You, you know, we, we've got to just, just, just take a moment in time where we've got to let political correctness go to the side and say, are we dealing with a health problem? Go back and look at photos from the 1970s. Try and find you know, that crowd of people. Try and find the person that's overweight. They're few and far between. As a society, we have gone down a wrong, bad pathway, but we have normalised it and we are now feeling like it's an insensitive thing to do to highlight it and bring it to people's attention. And right. in the process of doing that, by normalising it, we basically are allowing illness to be okay. Something and, that we and, could and fix. Un, un, and wellness to be okay. And mm-hmm. Instead of going, you know what, this is not how we are supposed to be. This is not how we're supposed to look. This is not, this, this, we are a product of our, our environment and our environment really at the end of the day now um, is, is all one that, that's, that's surrounded by us by privilege. You know, we're not having to walk the, the, the 20 miles to the water well mm-hmm. to carry back mm-hmm. those 20 litres of water every mm-hmm. day. Right. You know, we don't have to do that anymore. We just turn on a tap. It's there. Mm-hmm. You know, that food, well, it's all in your fridge and freezer. How did you right. get it? Well, I got in my car and I drove down to the shop. Mm-hmm. There's no physical effort in that. There's no hunting or gathering and then mm-hmm. working to the seasons and so forth, uh, you know, we, we're just not 
you know, engaging in something that we've done literally for thousands of years, um, you know, we've made life easier for ourselves. Um, you know, majority of our transport is not by our own means. It's something with, that has wheels, um, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, there's all these things that our bodies are primed for, but we just don't use them. And, and you know, we, we, we've engineered our way into problems here. Um, and, and I think we just need to just take a, a reflective moment and be honest with ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. stop making excuses for things that are not good for ourselves. Um, you know, and that's confronting, but it's a reality. Right. So that's what's happening in children now too, is they're getting the adult pattern of disease um, because of being overweight, because of being obese. And then we have this other thing where jaw development's a problem because, as I said, you know, not all the adults necessarily are overweight or obese. In fact, they're, they're sort of the unlucky ones with obstructive sleep apnea because we dismiss them. Because they don't fit the stereotype, um, they, they, we, we, they're just not on our radar. We just walk straight past them. But they have, you know, skeletal and developmental problems where their jaws haven't grown and developed properly. So basically the, the jaws form the framework for then, um, you know, what's inside the airway. And if uh-huh. their jaws are underdeveloped, well, their airway is, is compromised. It's going to be smaller, right. It's smaller. But how do you get that jaw development as an adult? Well, because of how it grew as a child. As a child, so, yeah. You know, so so 80 to 90% of your jaw development is done and dusted by the age of 12. So whatever you've got in that as an adult was basically the, 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 the growth pattern up to the age of 12 in the mainstay. So when can we find aberrant jaw and de- development problems? Well, clearly in kids. And right. who's going to find that? Predominantly the dentists. Mm-hmm. And if, if we have a tooth focus where we have a look at, you know, are, you know, are they brushing their teeth? Are they flossing their teeth? Have they got any cavities? And that's all we're worried about. And in the meantime, these jaws, which is what the teeth are connected to, are not developing properly, and they're, right. they're, they're just left to time, well, then we have that going on. So right. they have, Instead of you know, the stairway-centric dentistry. Yeah. Well, if you have underdeveloped jaws, then, you know, you, again, you might have a resilience, you might get away with that. But if as an adult, you get allergies, well, there's your tipping point. Or mm-hmm. if you get overweight and obese, there's your tipping point. Or for some reason, if your tonsils or adenoids play up, there's your tipping point. Um, you know, you know, anything that then comes along that, that basically in that, uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, a, a center of vulnerability, and you just need something that's just the, the straw that breaks that camel's back and then you trip over into pathology and you've fallen off that cliff and, and, and there's nothing there to catch you anymore. And we're back to something that could have been caught had we known or had we been looking for it back in childhood. Absolutely. And, and when we talk about obstructive sleep apnea as a society, in the mainstay, our paradigm is in adults. You know, mm-hmm. you know Oh, absolutely. You know, all the, all, you it's know, adult males. That's what we think of. Yeah, we, we, we really focus on it's, it's an adult thing. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's where we dwell on it, you know, right. and, and the fact that it could be happening in kids or it's happening in adults because of what happened in, in, in childhood. Uh-huh. What you are having to concede is that through the development of that adult's life, the health system screwed up. And again, we, we, we can either acknowledge that and, and, and admit and a mistake and, and, and use that as a learning opportunity and an, an opportunity for growth and development, or we can put our head in the sand and say, oh, no, 
no, no, I, I've got my university degree um, from this prestigious place and I've been doing this for 40 years. I know everything about everything because, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's where the ego gets in the way. So, so like I said, you know, I, I want to know what I don't know because if I don't know it and I should, you know, when, when I come to learn it, I go, I really wish I'd known that 20 years ago. <laughs> well, I'm grateful for the fact that at least I know it now. Right. Um, and, I, and, I, and I utilize it and I implement it. Um, you know, and, you know, I've, I've made my mistakes as many as, as, as anyone else, but I use them as reflective moments of growth rather than just going to ignore that. I don't you know. It's, it's all about it's, affecting yeah. change. How do we affect yeah. change? Yeah, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. so look, I hope, you know, in terms of just, just trying to give certain people out there an opportunity to get a, a broad brushstroke into things and understand that, mm-hmm. you know, it's not always about ENT. It, right. You know, it can be about allergies. Um, it, it, it can be about diet and lifestyle. It can be about jaw development. So, you know, if they're going to the dentist and the dentist is going, oh, their jaws aren't developing properly, well, that's got to be a red flag to saying, well, okay, What's so what do we on? do about that? It. You know, okay. you don't just find a problem and go, oh, and then just walk past it. You mm-hmm. go, oh, oh, hang on, rewind. All right. So, so what are we going to do? And they go, oh, don't worry. We'll just let them grow there. And look, they'll probably get crowded teeth. And don't worry, we'll, we'll, later on, we'll just, and, take, the, just yeah. take those extra teeth out um, and, and so forth. And we can straighten them up because they're, they're all going to get a bit crowded. That doesn't fix the jaws. Mm-hmm. And that's know? back to that normalization again, right? The extra teeth. There are no extra 100%. teeth. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, you know why, why, you know, if, if someone was born with an extra finger, an extra toe, we recognize that that's, that's aberrant. We know that that, but we're, we're all effectively born with the same number of teeth. Mm-hmm. Why on earth are there extra teeth then? There aren't extra right. teeth. Now, look, right. there are some times where there are actually, there actually genuinely are extra teeth, but you know, that's a pathology. But when we all have the same in the main state number of teeth, mm-hmm. well, why is that extra teeth? In, why is it extra in that child? You know, but in, the in same that child, child has the, same that's got the same number mm-hmm. of teeth as the other child. Why are right. we calling them extra teeth? And it's like, well, the teeth are attached to the jaw. It's the jaw that's the problem, not the teeth. Mm-hmm. The teeth mm-hmm. are just fighting for the space that they've got. And if the jaw's a problem for the teeth, it's going to be a problem with the breathing later on in the mainstay. Yep. Yep. And, yep. And, and, and so it's like, hang on, we're on a road to pathology here. We've we got we to get off this ride. This ride doesn't end in a happy place. No. So, so that's, that's where we, you know, we need a, a multidisciplinary uh, approach to the management too. I can't fix jaws and teeth. Um, I get the allergy doctors to help me with the allergies. So I, I go looking for the allergies. You know, I can pick that up as an ENT, but I need the allergy doctors to help me then manage it in the long term. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these children have aberrant breathing patterns. I can clear the obstruction, but then they need um, rehabilitation and so forth. And they may not have been chewing and swallowing properly either because having big tonsils or being mouth breather, they have to work different ways to chew and, and, and breathe and swallow their cord. You know, so with we the need myofunctional correction. So this is where the myofunctional therapy comes into it. You know, th- th- there's this whole thing where, you know, you, you basically you need a village, okay, right. of people that, that come in and go, all right, here's the plan. Okay, so th- here's the sequence. First up, you've got ENT problems. All right, the sequence is ENT always goes first. You know, you got ENT problems. ENT always goes first. Let's get that out of the way. That may not be our full fix. It may not be our permanent fix, but it's our quick fix. 
and it's very effective um, and it's just going to pull us out of trouble, you know. So it's kind of like if someone's drowning, it's like, what do you do first? Well, look, you want to pull them out of the water, but, hey, look, at the moment we can't do that. Let's throw them a life preserver. Let's at least stop them from drowning. So there's that. They're still in the water. They're still cold um, and so forth, but they're not going to drown anymore. All right, we've got them to a point, and it's like, okay, what do we need to do now? Well, all right, now we need to get these jaws sorted, okay, and we can start some myofunctional rehab, and we can start getting their allergies and calming that down. And if we start getting all of those things sorted, then eventually we've, you know, got to the point where the helicopters arrived and the rescue team has dropped down and plucked that person out of the water and we've got them on board and we've warmed them up and we've saved them from drowning and we've saved them from hypothermia and we've saved them from being eaten by the sharks, okay? okay? But that took a coordinated effort of different things at different times. It wasn't an immediate fix. It wasn't a, just a one thing. It was right. all these things that, that, that had to happen for and that work together. And okay. talk to each it's other. The, it's the same with these children. You know, if, if if their only problem is tonsils and adenoids, fine. That's their only fix. But if their only problem is allergies, fine. That's their only fix. But often these children don't have just one thing going on. Right. All right. They've got a multitude of things going on. And, and it can be, you know, the parents can be going, oh, you've got to fix all of this. And you go, yeah, you got to fix all of this because – you know, if you've got a car with four flat tyres, do you complain about the fact that you've got to fix all four flat tyres or do you go and fix all flat tire, all four, four flats? You go, well, right. all right, well, I've got to fix all four flats. There's no point fixing three of them. Well, it made things better, but i still got a problem. Well, mm-hmm. this is the same. You've got to fix all of this. Right. Um, you know, and that can be a journey at times. You know, things can take a while. But the outcomes, the health outcomes, they're long um, and, and, and things that, that that we ultimately will never see because we'll ne- you know, we won't see that disease in pathology in that person. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing, mm-hmm. you know. That's a good thing. Absolutely. So, so, so that 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 you know, in, 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 as, as best as I can, you know, provide to parents. At the end of the day, they're our advocates. They're our ambassadors. They're the ones that are going to be standing up for their own kids um, more than anyone else and saying, no, I know that there is something That's wrong something. with my child. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a healthcare provider. I, I never went and did that university education that you've got. And I'm not suggesting for a moment, um, you know, that, that, you know, that I, I necessarily know more than you, but I know my child. Okay. I spend more time with my child than I've had with the past five minutes I've been sitting with you in your room. I'm telling you, there is something wrong with my child and Advocacy. I want to an go advocate. and get it looked at and get it fixed. And, and, and then, you know, especially those ones that have had the, the battle to get there, mm-hmm. you know, and the challenges to get there and the frustrations of getting there. And then that gets fixed. And it's just like different child. They're like, Mm-hmm. Right. This can't ever happen again. And obviously that's where your you know this foundation is founded upon. Is, right. is the journey, the journey that one child went through. Um, that basically then had the parents that said, This can never happen again. Happen again. Mm-hmm. Correct. I'll tell you now, it already is. It happens time and time again. Mm-hmm. But it's gonna happen one time less every moment that a parent 
hears this message. And then that one moment less has become, become a one moment and just a little bit less because we've got another advocate we've got another ambassador. And then it just spirals upwards. And eventually, in some concept of time, we're going to know that this is a pathology and that parents in the mainstay, the majority of parents actually know it's a pathology. And also at the same time, the healthcare providers are going to know it's a pathology because that's where you run into problems too. It's all well and good for me to know this. There's a lot of healthcare providers, and that includes ENTs, by the way. Mm -hmm. This isn't even on their radar. Right. It wasn't part of their education. It's not part of their knowledge base. And look, it may not be part of their focus. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm an ENT, but I don't specialize in ear disease. You know, you can have major ear disease. I don't do throat cancer. You can get throat cancer. You know, um, they're both ENT conditions. Okay. Right. Now, I but know about, enough about ear disease to send it to an ear specialist, someone that focuses on ear disease, or send it to the throat cancer team. You know, I, I know that, but I, I, don't, I don't deal with it. Um, but if you don't know that upper airway obstruction is a problem and that, you know, no tonsillitis means no tonsillectomy, um, then you're not seeing the, the right type of ENT. Just like if you had, you know, bowel cancer, well, you wouldn't go and see the breast cancer surgeon. If you had a shoulder problem, you wouldn't go and see the knee specialist. They're both right. orthopedic surgeons, okay, just like we're all ENT surgeons. So, again, if you, if you know, where, where circumstances prevailing means that you can go and see, you know, if it's a child, the pediatric ENT. If it's an airway problem, the airway-focused ENT. Um, you know, you, you'll, you'll get a different perspective and, and, and so forth there too. And that's where, you know, it obviously then needs to layer up within the healthcare profession too. It's all well and good, you know, to have these parents that, that know their child needs fixing, but if they hit these brick walls of ignorance within the healthcare profession, then right. they also, you know, we also have a problem there. So it needs mm-hmm. to spiral up, you know, in, in more than one place. Um, but let's just start with the parents. They're the ones that, that, that know that their child has a problem and it needs fixing. Advocacy. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for all this amazing information and putting it in just language that parents can understand and really getting to the, the, the just such detail about what we're dealing with and why it's so critical that we address it yeah. now. Yeah, no, my absolute pleasure. Thanks again to today's guest, Dr. David McIntosh, for sharing his medical insights, and to each of you for listening to today's episode. If you're new to our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to leave us a review or a comment about what you enjoyed most. You can stay connected with the Children's Airway First Foundation by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you'd like to be a guest on an upcoming episode, shoot us a note via the contacts page on our website or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. And finally, thanks to all the parents and medical professionals out there that are working hard to help make the lives of kids around the globe just a little bit better. Take care, stay safe, and happy breathing, everyone.